Take your Bibles and head over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians 9. Pastor Jeff and I were just talking. We always get together with our team back here and we have prayer. After I pray with my, my guys, the prayer partners who were here this morning, and I love those men, then we come down and have a time of service. Uh, just sort of go through the order and then pray together. And Jeff was sharing, he's on call today. Different pastors are on call every day. He happened to get Christmas Day, and the, the calling service <clears throat> reached out to him early this morning. And um, someone uh, wanted to talk about salvation. And already this morning, our worship pastor, Jeff's had the opportunity to lead somebody to faith in Jesus Christ. Already today. So I think that's an awesome thing. I love, uh, I love the way he was describing that encounter to me. And so, already, new life in Christ. And then for Brian and uh, their family, for the Thomas family, I'm so excited for them. Um, I, I got to be baptized Easter Sunday of 85, and to know that their oldest is now baptized Christmas Day of 22. What a blessing that is. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, we're going to talk about God's indescribable gift, okay? I want to bring you this message on God's indescribable gift. 27 years ago, Cindy and I f- shared our first Christmas together as husband and wife. We were together as boyfriend and girlfriend the Christmas before that, but now we were husband and wife And on that Christmas, you know, I wanted to do good things. I wanted to go out and bought her a little bit of jewelry. And then I thought, you know, maybe it'd be a good idea for me to try to to buy my new bride some clothes. And, um, you know, every time I've said that, this is the third service, and some of y'all start laughing right out of the gate. Y'all know something I didn't know back then in my early 20s. I had no idea that... that, this was going to be a problem. But I went to the store that I thought would have maybe the best selection of women's clothes. I went to Sears. And I came across a beautiful sweater, kind of like Joey's sport coat. It was very multicolored, kind of like one of the Cosby sweaters back in the day. And I thought it was beautiful, kind of like Joseph's coat of many colors. And it had this big, thick neck. I thought, that'll keep her really warm. It's like a turtleneck. And so they put it in a box for me. I took it home. I wrapped it with love. And then Christmas comes around, and we're doing our gifts. And so she gets to the sweater box, and she opens it up, and, and she holds it up. And she looks at it and she looks at me. And I'll never forget what she did. She started to unroll the neck that had been rolled down. And she kept unrolling and unrolling and unrolling until the neck was about that long. And then she does something every man wants to see her new bride do. She begins to laugh at me and laugh at the gift. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? And of course, my feelings are hurt, and I'm still getting over it. I did take it back, and Sears took my return. But we have laughed for 27 Christmases about the big neck sweater. And um, seriously, I have not again bought her another piece of clothing in our married life. I stopped right then on the very first Christmas. And you know, the thing is, I could describe that sweater for you. It really did look like it was made for a giraffe. The reality is it was way out of proportion. It was horrific, and I know that now. But that gift is not indescribable. It's very easy for me to describe it. I can still see it. I can still see her laughing at me, y'all. I'm just telling you, that big neck sweater got a lot of play in our family. And yet here in God's Word, Paul is going to talk about an indescribable gift. Now, you've got to remember, Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. 
And even being inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's saying language cannot fully unpack the gift God's given us. So, for my shortest text ever, stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Just one verse. I'm going to read it in the New King James, where I preach from each week, and then I'm going to share it in about five or six other translations. Paul says this, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Now listen to it in the King James. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. The Good News Translation. Let us thank God for His priceless gift. New Century Version. Thanks be to God for His gift that is too wonderful for words. I like this. Let us give thanks to God for His gift. It is so great that no one can tell how wonderful it really is. Now the New Living Translation gets right down to it. It says, thank God for His Son, a gift too wonderful for words. And finally the message says, thank God for this gift, His gift. No language can praise it enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I said last night, and I will repeat, I know, Lord, that I am attempting the impossible. How do you describe the indescribable? How can you possibly, with human language, fully unpack who the Lord Jesus is? Well, Lord, I know. I know that I can't, and yet I believe that you want us to focus on him and seek his face, this, his birthday where we celebrate. Lord, it doesn't matter historically if it was December the 25th or not. I know that the skeptics and others will have their thoughts. The truth is there should be a day set aside to celebrate God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And so this is that day. And I pray that for just the next little bit, we would focus. I know there's a lot going on in everybody's life. I know there's a lot of food and festivity. There are a lot of gifts, and there are a lot of great things. But let us not miss the very best thing, and that is a time to learn about our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Okay, guys, so I, I know that I'm going to fall short, but I still think it's important to take a few minutes and reflect on God's indescribable gift. Let me give you the context of 2 Corinthians 9. You never want to take a text without its context, okay? So in 2 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul is writing about human gifts. And what he's saying is, I commend you, Corinthians, he didn't commend them for a lot, a lot, but he said, I commend you for taking up offerings to help poor Christians in and around Jerusalem. And I thank you for your eagerness to help. And he reminds them, if you sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. But if you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. It's that sowing and reaping principle. And then he gives one of the greatest verses. Pastors love this verse because we, of course, want to encourage generous giving to the work of the Lord. And I would encourage you, if you've not given your Christmas gift to Christ, that's something we prayed about and we gave last week or week before last. Make sure before the end of the year, it's Jesus' birthday, you're passing around a lot of gifts, make sure you've given him his. If you're a member or regular attender, if you're a guest, we're not asking anything from you financially. In fact, I would rather you not give here financially. Give to your home church, but don't give here. But if you are a member or a regular attender, give your Christmas gift and look at verse 7. It says, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful. 
in the Greek, hilaros. It's where we get our word hilarious. It means give so lavishly that it's joyful. It's over and abounding in joy. Now, not that giving is a joke, but giving is joyful. It's delightful. It is enjoyable. Don't you love to give and see the response of somebody that really appreciates the gift? Last night, we did a few things at our house. There's still a lot left, but all the family was there. After our Mexican feast, we gathered in the living room around the fire. We read the Christmas story, and then we started opening some gifts. Well, Miss Lucy will be two in a few weeks. Sorry, three in a few weeks. In a while back, Jeepa found a little writing tablet that I thought she would enjoy. It's not digital or anything. It's just different colors, and then you press the button and it disappears. And I loved the fact that when I gave her that, you hear me talking about you, right? When I gave her that little writing pad, I loved the fact that we got down on the floor together and drew some pictures and had fun and we played around with it. And it did my heart good, although that didn't cost very much at all in, in a worldly sense, it really was a priceless moment because you're able to see the joy on her face. Really what Paul is getting at here is that giving, giving lavishly should be joyful. It should be an experience of joy. And then in that context, he begins sort of flipping the script. And he says, look, you guys are able to give, and you've been giving generously, but let me tell you about God. I want to pause and thank God for his indescribable gift. Now, let me unpack the, the key word there, indescribable. So, in the Greek language, it's made up of two words, okay? And the first, the root word is a big, big word, ekdiegeomai. Ekdiegeomai means this, to narrate fully or wholly to describe in complete detail. But that's not the word. The word in Greek actually has an A in front of it. Now something interesting happens in the Greek language when you put the word A in front of anything. It negates the word. So what does that mean? Let me give you a Greek word. I'll give you theos, God. If I put an A in front of it, that is a theos. Now, you've heard of atheist. That means no God. An atheist says there's no God or that God does not exist. So what they've done here, what Paul did, and, and it's very interesting, it's never used anywhere else in the New Testament. This is the only instance of this word in the New Testament in the Greek language. He puts an A in front of it, I, and, and then it changes the ending. I won't even bother reading it. It changes the ending, but it's basically to narrate wholly or fully, to tell the complete story A to Z, and then he puts a no in front of it. So indescribable means I can't explain it to you in full. I can't give you the full story. This finite human mind cannot fully unpack the infinite. This is the gift that inspires all other gifts. Christ is this indescribable gift. And we know from context here and how Paul's writing, he's specifically speaking of the Son of God. So again, I'll fall short, but I at least want to make an effort. I'm going to give you five words. They all start with P, so it's pretty simple. If you have a listening guide, just jot these down. They're super easy to remember. Jesus Christ is first a promised gift. A promised gift. You'll recall with me in Genesis 49.10, the Bible says the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. Later in the writings of Moses, it would explain that the Messiah would come even through the line of David. 
come from Judah and David, and then in Micah 5-2, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Do you know how strange that is to predict that he would come from Bethlehem? Bethlehem was a tiny, tiny, tiny town. It's still not a big town. But in the time of Jesus, it may have had a population of 200 or so. So imagine how specific the Bible is that God's chosen Savior, his anointed one, would come through Judah, through the line of David, from Bethlehem. Isaiah 7, 14 says the Lord would come through a virgin. In fact, the virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, which of course means God with us. How do you describe God with us? How do you describe an all-powerful God when we're limited? How do you describe an all-knowing God when we don't have an all-knowing mind? How do you describe the eternal? How do you describe the indescribable? These are just a few of hundreds of prophecies that say, I'm promising you a Savior. I'm promising you one who will deliver you from your sin. He's a promised gift. Secondly, he's a personal gift. A personal gift. You know the verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, that means you, should not perish but have everlasting life. And God manifested his love toward us in that his only begotten son was brought into the world that we might live through him. That's 1 John 4, 9. It was a gift of love. The marvelous, matchless love of God, God so loved the world. That exceeds description. He so loved. It's hard enough to describe love when you say, well, I love you, because we throw around love in so many different ways. I really did love that Mexican feast the kids cooked last night, and I could go home and say, I love that. But then I can lay down last night and say, Cindy, I love you. And that's at a different level. So I could say, well, I so love you. And so that really exceeds description. It eludes illustration. This surpasses human love. It's agape love. God so loved, unilateral, one-way, self-sacrificing. When we didn't love God, God first loved us. It excels comprehension because it is unmerited. While we're yet sinners, you see, Christ died for us. The Bible says that's how God demonstrated his love, that this Christ child came to die. For God so loved the world. You could put your name right there. None are excluded. All are included. A gift for all men in all conditions. A gift for all women in all circumstances. A gift for all people of all races. A gift where none are omitted, none are overlooked. I don't know how it is in your family, but for my family, for years, I never got to sit at the big person's table. I was always off like with the cousins at the little card table. I don't even think I knew what our formal dining room looked like in my home growing up. And sometimes it felt like, well, why can't I be part of that? And sometimes it may feel like that for you. Maybe you feel like you're on the outside. But when it comes to Jesus, he's so personal, none are left out. For God so loved, you fill in the blank with your name. You and me. He's promised, he's personal, he's also a precious gift, a precious gift. You see, we read in Isaiah 28 and again in 1 Peter 2, and all of these are in your notes, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation, and the one who trusts will never be dismayed. The Bible repeatedly refers to Jesus as the cornerstone. The great prophet Isaiah 
And Peter the apostle say he is a precious cornerstone. Precious. What does it mean when something is precious? That means so much to you. Years ago, our oldest Heather just had to have that one toy. That one thing that stood out above all other things. Have your kids ever had to have that one thing? And in your family, has it ever happened to align with the hottest toy of the year? That particular year, it was this thing called a fur real cat. I don't know if any of y'all remember those. But all of our kids are way too allergic to stuff to have a real cat. Praise God. But they had this fur real cat thing. And of course, by the time I knew how precious it was to Heather, everybody sold out. So rather than being like Arnold and running around for the doll and trying to find it in every store and getting in a fight with the postman and all of this and that, rather than all of that, I just go online and I hit up eBay. Oh, and they had for real cats on eBay. But eBay sellers at Christmas time have a pact with the devil, because I think I paid about $150 for that fur real cat. Three, four, five times what that thing was worth. But Christmas Day, guess what? Our firstborn had her fur real cat. And as the Lord is my witness, she played with the box longer than the cat. <laughs> yes, you did. And the thing is this, you learn real quick that that thing, oh, I've got to have it, I've got to have it, I've got to have it, I got it. What's next? Things aren't nearly as precious as we think they are. In fact, in fact, for most of us, we couldn't tell you what we got for last Christmas. Most of us couldn't tell you what we got last night. The reality is there's only one gift that is truly precious and never wears out. Galatians 1.6, the Apostle Paul, who also wrote Galatians and 2 Corinthians, said, I marvel that some of you are turning so soon away from him who called you to the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You know what he said? He said, the gift of Jesus is so precious. How in the world could you turn him aside or turn aside from him and go to another gospel? How in the world could you discard him? Because you know this is what happens. We get in this thing of unwrapping and unwrapping. We, oh, that's wonderful. I love that. What do you got for me now? And yet when it comes to Jesus, we need to pause and say, whoa, 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 whoa. He's a precious gift. He's a gift that we cannot discard. He's promised and personal and precious. You also know he is a priceless gift. How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings, Psalm 36, 7. You know Isaiah 9, 6. You guys know this. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. You, you know the names that the great prophet says, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And it talks about the fact that his kingdom never ends. I mean, those are descriptors of one who is priceless. Unlike the MasterCard tagline, you know the MasterCard line, right? We talked about it way back when I was preaching Hebrews 3. There are some things money can't buy, but for everything else, there's MasterCard. And I'm going to stand here this morning on Christmas 2022 and say there are a lot of things money can't buy, the most important things money can't buy. And for all of those things, there's the Lord Jesus Christ. 
because he is a priceless Savior. You think about it, the most costly Christmas of all time, about 2,000 years ago, the most costly Christmas, when God the Son set aside his crown and glory and willingly stepped into time and space to come to this earth and redeem us with a very high price. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. You see this? We don't pay for Christ. Christ paid the price for us. God gave the greatest gift of history to keep the greatest promise of history. Jesus is that promise. Jesus is the one who came in his life and his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, priceless. Because we couldn't pay for our way to God. You can't pay your way to glory. You can't pay your way to heaven. You can't come to church enough. You can't give enough. You can't be good enough, smart enough, holy enough. Jesus alone is the priceless gift of God. And not only is he priceless, He's the perfect gift. Notice I changed the articles. A promise, a personal, a precious, a priceless gift. The, the perfect gift. Hebrews 4, 15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, and yet without sin. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. I know that we want to find the perfect gift. And I hope you did. I hope that whatever you've gotten for friends and family, I hope they love it. I hope they say, oh, it's the perfect gift. It's the perfect gift. But even if they say that, even if you got one of those big gifts with four wheels and a giant bow on top, and you handed them the keys, and they went out this morning, they're like, wow, that's the perfect gift. We didn't do that in my house. But if you did that, that is the perfect gift. One day, that gift ends up in a scrap heap somewhere. That's just the reality of it. Not to burst your bubble, but let's be honest, all of those perfect gifts eventually get taken up to Mount Crumpet where the Grinch plays with them. That's just the reality of life. There are no other perfect gifts that last forever, but Jesus is the perfect gift. Now, Joan London, who was the co-host of Good Morning America for many years, all through my childhood, through the 80s and up to about 97, she did a segment years ago on the perfect gift. And she wanted to showcase some of those gifts that uh, these companies and marketeers and all this, that they were trying to tout as the perfect gift. One of them they highlighted was the Jaguar 220. Had some letters in front of it too, but that was the basic model. You go down to do Jaguar, or Jaguar, you go down to your dealer, you give them $80,000. When the car comes in, because they only made a few hundred of them, you give them another $500,000. So you've now bought yourself a $580,000 car, the perfect gift. And then if you wanted to keep your car looking its best, you bought an eight ounce can of car wax for $3,400. You're gonna buy a $600,000 car, you might as well buy $3,400 wax, right? And so that was sort of this this idea of a grandiose gift. And then she goes on to mention my favorite, personally, a $300,000 gold and silver toilet seat inlaid with precious stones. I had a lot I wanted to write there, and I decided not to. But I'm just thinking, I'd be scared to sit down on that thing. 
And of course, there were cheaper gifts for those of you that, uh, you know, were more frugal. An $18,000 Frisbee, a $10,000 yo-yo, a $12,000 mousetrap. And for us proud grandparents, those of us who want to really love on our G-babies this Christmas, you could buy them the perfect pacifier, a $28,000 baby pacifier. Staggers the imagination. But they're not making it unless somebody's buying it. Somebody's buying a $300,000 seat to their throne. I mean, it's crazy, y'all. And if you're going to spend that much, you probably have more dollars than cents. And that seems ridiculous to me, but it's not indescribable. And it's not perfect. Because eventually, all of these things, even the Jaguar 220, eventually, they're going to break down. Because they're not perfect. But Jesus goes beyond all of our human descriptions as the promised, personal, precious, priceless, and perfect gift of God. And he is the only gift that brings true peace and everlasting pardon. Think about it. You open something, it's awesome, it's wonderful, you enjoy it, but eventually, sooner than later, the feeling fades. Eventually, that spark and that joy. Now, there's nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with giving and receiving gifts and enjoying this time, whether it's Christmas or a birthday or an anniversary or just, just because. Nothing wrong with that. But if you put all of your stock in that stuff, you'll never have true peace. You'll never enjoy everlasting pardon. Jesus alone can give you that. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, just a little before our text. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. See, I can tell you right now, we're not putting cars in the driveway with big bows on top. We're not buying $300,000 toilet seats. We're not buying nearly $600,000 cars, though if you did want to purchase that as a gift for your pastor and family, we would completely understand and say, God bless you, thank you. Just come drop the keys at the kiosk at the end. <laughs> We're not doing that kind of stuff, but I can promise you, when I looked around the table last night, when I looked around the living room last night, when we go back to the house later today and have our, what are we having? Charcuterie? Char that board of meat stuff, <laughs> charcuterie, charcuterie, Charco charcuterie. And then later tonight, we have our Chinese feast, because that's what we do on Christmas. Okay, so when we have our feast together, you cough that day, I'll be quiet. Try again. Oh, Siri's talking to me. When we have all of that stuff, and I can look around and see my children Son-in-law, future son-in-law, huh, and the babies and all of that. I'm just telling y'all, I'm just telling you right now, I feel like the richest guy around. And I know plenty of people have plenty more stuff, but it's rich to look at your four children and know all four of them know and love and serve Jesus. That's a wealth. That's a wealth that the world will never offer. To know that it's very likely that your granddaughters, because they're in homes that love Jesus, will probably trust him just like Barrett. It, it's such a joy, such a blessing, such a wealthy thing to know that all of this stuff fades, but we get to enjoy this life and the life to come together because 
of God's indescribable gift. How do we respond to this fact that God gave us an indescribable gift? I think we do what Paul did. What, how did he start that verse? How did he start the proclamation? He said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thanks, joy, gratitude, genuine appreciation. So we thank him with our actions. We thank him with our attitude. We pause, we stop, we say, God, thank you because you make all this possible. You give us the gift of family. You give us the gift of friends. You give us the gift of this Savior. He's a promised gift, a personal gift, a precious gift, a priceless gift, and the perfect gift. And so now I want us to transition, and I want to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. And I want to ask this question, because we're not the only church that does this. Many churches do it, but I've rarely heard them explain why. Why do we take communion at Christmas? That seems more like an Easter thing, right? Why do we take communion at Christmas? And it set me to thinking, why did Jesus come in the first place? If you don't have Easter in mind, you can't fully understand and appreciate Christmas. In fact, why did Christ come as this gift that we've just described? Well, because you and I are in a terrible state by birth. We are born sinners. Our first parents disobeyed God, and we have inherited that sin nature. As much as I love that sweet two, almost three-year-old, is she sleeping? Wherever she is over there, that little curly-headed girl and her little baby sister, as much as I love her, nobody's taught Miss Lucy how to sin. I promise she is quite good at it on her own. And I love her, and it doesn't change anything about the way I feel about her, but she knows how to sin. She knows how to be selfish. She knows how to cry and whine and get her way. She wasn't super thrilled when other people were opening gifts last night. Me, me, gimme, 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 I need, I need, right? Because that's the way we all are, sinners, whose sin separates us from our Creator God. And there was this system in the Old Testament that for many, many years they tried to bring bulls and goats and lambs and, and these temporary fixes. This animal blood was never fully able to take away human sin because God was using that sacrificial system simply as a foreshadowing. He was reminding people that the wages of sin is death. He was reminding them that life was in the blood, and so when you spilled the blood, that animal blood sort of temporarily covered your sin but it never lasted. They had to go year after year, month after month, week after week, day after day, until in the fullness of time, God sent the perfect lamb. And Jesus came to die. To die once for all, to take our place, to take the nails that belonged in my hands and the bruises that belonged on your back and the stripes that we all deserved, God sent Jesus. And so the reason we take communion is because you can really only understand and appreciate Christmas when you know why Christ came, that he willingly left glory to come through the virgin's womb into our sin-cursed world to take our place. And whenever I need to be reminded just how marvelous and matchless our Lord is, I pull up, and I do this several times every year, and I have for many years, I will pull up a particular sermon excerpt. There are various ones out there with different graphics, but I chose the one I wanted you to hear today. 
And if you've heard it before, you'll be blessed again. If you've never heard it, put your seatbelt on, man, because you're about to be super blessed with an incredible pastor. His name was S.M. Lockridge. He's an African-American preacher who pastored Calvary Baptist Church, San Diego, California, for some 40 years. And one of his very most, his most famous messages is called, That's My King. And I've pulled an excerpt. And so when we want to think about this one that we worship and celebrate, his birthday today, his coming today, I want you to be blessed by Pastor Lockridge. Watch this. The Bible says my king is a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduring strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him, for yet he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees but they found out they couldn't stop him. Tyler couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah.
If that doesn't light you up, something is wrong with you. I love that. You can always check that out on YouTube and different versions. That's my king. But the question is, is he your king? Have you received this incredible gift? Have you really trusted in this indescribable gift? Because as long as we've been here, we just barely scratched the surface. I mean, you heard a lot of descriptors, and Pastor Lockridge said, I can't describe him for you. He's indescribable, irresistible. Do you trust him as your Lord and Savior? Now, I know you may know of him. Certainly you know of him. But do you really know him, and does he really know you? You see, I know him, and you can too. His name is Jesus the Christ, the Son of the living God. It is his birthday we celebrate because he's the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords who was and is and always will be God's indescribable gift. You know, it was said on the night he was betrayed At the conclusion of the Feast of the Passover, our Lord would give the fullest meaning to the elements of that supper. They were going back every year as Jews, and they were remembering with gratitude how God delivered them from slavery. They were under Pharaoh's hand in Egyptian bondage, and yet God said, you don't have any time to put yeast in your bread. I'm about to get you out of here. And so for the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, God made a plan of deliverance through the lamb. You apply the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, on your lintel, and I'll pass over. God didn't stop to look inside. Is everybody in the house worthy? He just said, if the blood is applied, you will not face death. And he said the same thing thousands of years later through Jesus Christ. He's not asking, is anybody worthy? None are, save the Lord. He said, if the blood is applied by faith, you will not face what the Bible calls as the second death. You may physically die one day. Without rapture, we all will. But you will instantly go to be with your Lord in heaven if you know him, or you will instantly be separated him forever in hell if you don't. And so what our Lord did was he took the unleavened bread called matzah. He held it in his hands. This isn't exactly matzah, but it is a fair representation. Matzah today typically looks like a large square cracker. But if you look at the pictures on on the screens, I like to show this most every time we do communion because matzah then and matzah now has some characteristics, being unleavened or flat bread. It has these bruise marks in it. It's the nature of the fact that it is baked very, very rapidly. It typically has some striped patterns in it. And then you may also notice that it is pierced multiple times. The Lord Jesus, that night, the very night of his betrayal, would hold this up and he would say, fellas, I want you to look at this. This is my body, and it's broken for you. He showed them this unleavened bread to remind them not only of their deliverance so long ago, but of their deliverance that would soon come through him. And he said, this is my body. As the great prophet Isaiah would say in the 53rd chapter, he was bruised. He was striped. He was pierced. And all of that for our iniquity. All of that for our sin. And so when I come to the Lord's table this Christmas, I come with a heart of gratitude. He took my nails. 
the whip that belonged to my back. He took my place, becoming poor, so that through his poverty, I may become rich. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are very grateful today for the broken body of the Lord Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for willingly giving of yourself, for giving yourself because without your willingness, we'd still try to bring these animals that could never fully take away human sin. And it would be temporary patches and band-aids that would never really get us to our God. But you've made a way because you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we come to the Father through you. So thank you for your willingness to pay the price for us. We do this in remembrance of you with gratitude in our hearts this Christmas day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so if you'll take your cup and if you'll open it just to the side of the bread and retrieve that little wafer. As our Lord Jesus prayed, he then took it and he said, this is my body and it's broken for you. He would teach his followers in John chapter 6 about the manna that their forefathers ate in the wilderness. But pointing to himself as the bread of heaven, he said, this is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, but he that eateth this bread shall live forever. On that same night, our Lord took the cup you'd prepare yours. Having blessed it, he passed it around to his disciples, and he asked them to drink, because it was the cup of his blood, this new covenant cup. One day we're going to do a Passover Seder together, and I'm going to explain to you the different cups. There were actually multiple cups, but he took the cup of redemption, the third cup in the meal with four, actually five, but he took the cup. And he gave it its fullest expression. He prayed, he blessed it, and they drank, not even understanding that in just mere hours his blood would be shed for them. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the broken body. We also now thank you for the shed blood of our Lord. Jesus, we thank you because we understand that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sin, for life is in the blood. And you gave your blood that we may have life. It may seem strange to those looking from the outside in to think we would be talking about such things in a birthday celebration. But Lord, we know why you came. We understand the purpose, and we are forever grateful for the blood of Jesus that has cleansed us and made us as white as snow. We pray this in his name, amen. We read in 1 John chapter 1, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, this morning I want to do what the disciples did. It says they sang a hymn. We're going to have some carols. Then they went out. We're going to have a time of candlelight. But before we do that, we would like to give you something. So would you please stand with me at this time? 
Pastors are going to be coming, and they're going to spread out some baskets across the front. We ran out um, yesterday. I think we have enough because we divvied them out. I think you'll have enough to take for you and maybe a friend or two, family member or two. I want to encourage you to do something and come to the altar this Christmas. Um, God convicted me years ago that I knew about the Bible. I knew the Sunday school stories. I knew the David and Goliath and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I did not know the Bible holistically. So before I actually fully surrendered to God in full-time ministry, I made a commitment that I would take a copy of the Word of God and attempt to sit down and read it cover to cover. And that first year I did so, I actually did the New Testament before that a few times, but that first year just rocked my world and changed my life. And so January 1st, one week from today, I start my 25th year consecutively of reading a different copy of the Word of God, and it's changed my life more than anything else I've ever done after I got saved. Uh, this year I'm finishing the De Dr. Adrian Rogers Legacy Bible. It's been an amazing blessing to me, along with the devotional book by Oswald Chambers. Next year I'll be reading Ray Comfort's Evidence Bible. Somebody wrote me a brilliant testimony on email last night about how the Evidence Bibles really helped them in their walk with the Lord. That was a gift. And I look forward, each, normally December, I'll get a gift of a Bible. Different translations, different things, but I'm going to take this reading plan. It's on our app, it's on our website, but I take the paper copy, I put it in that Bible, and every day I take a bite. Doesn't take me long, but I spend time in prayer and I spend time reading. And I'm asking God to show me things that I need, not for a sermon, not for a class to teach somewhere, for me as a man of God. As a man of God, as a husband, a father, a grandfather, a pastor, I need this. I want you to get these. Now, whether you make it a week or two or the whole year long, you'll never make it if you don't start. So just like that diet we're all thinking about, or some of us, uh, you got to start somewhere. So I'm going to encourage you to come up, or you could send a member of your family, and if you know somebody that would be, a, uh, be blessed by this, take more and you can give it to them. We're going to print more. We're, we already know we're going to print more. So take as many as you want, because this is a gift. We've been doing this. In my ministry, I've been a, a full-time ministry, I guess, 24 years. Um, I've given something like this to the churches I've served every year, because I think it's that important. If you prefer to do a Bible app or something else, that's fine. But if you want to grow in 23, being a man or woman of prayer and Bible, Bible study, not to finish, but to change, to get into it so it can get into you, this will rock your world. It'll change your life. So I'm going to ask you to come. These are spread all over the altar, and you can get these. The band's going to come up. They're just going to play uh, softly. And then as soon as you've had time to do this, the lights are going to come down. Pastor Jeff's going to lead us in the candlelight portion of this service. But please, as you come, if you take one or two or however many, say a, just a quick prayer as you walk through. God, help me to be more intentional about being in the Word in 23. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.